Hi, and welcome to the Luminaries In and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the moon and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S.P. Hall, and I'm your host. In today's episode on the Virgo moon as the luminary out of sect, I speak with the artist, diviner, writer, and educator, J.M. Hamadi. In addition to discussing the Virgo moon in Jay's third whole sign house in this conversation, we also touch on the lunar mansions or nakshatras. As Jay is a student of both the Vedic and Arabic traditions, we compare and contrast these two systems quite a bit. We also talk about the nature of the third house and the moon's joy there, as well as the relationship of Mercury and the moon, as well as Virgo and ideas of virginity and parthenogenesis. Before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to give you all a little life update, uh, especially as it relates to this podcast. I am moving back to New York and will be driving across the country from LA the last week in September. That will coincide with the beginning of Libra season, so the first Libra Moon episode will be uploaded a little later than I usually would. Just wanted to let you all know. As always, if you enjoy the work that I'm doing, please contribute to the podcast's sustainability by becoming a supporting member or offering a one-time donation on my website. There you can also find information on my services. I'm offering natal and timing consultations as well as answering query questions. I also offer transcription, captioning, and audio and video editing. Thanks again to all those that have offered their generous support. Appreciate you. Hope you enjoy the conversation. J.M. Hamadi, thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you. Yeah, to start off the conversation, how has the uh, recent Astro weather been for you? Um, for listeners, it's August 12th, 5.15 New York time. Um, we are about to have the Venus Kazemi tomorrow. Mercury's in shadow. Things are going on. Um, yeah, how's it been? been a mixed bag. Um, Venus retrograde in my second house, second Lord in the tenth. So mm. all kind of like, what am I? What am I doing with my life and sources of income? And mm. the second house just being um, structures, resources, all these things in our life. So as one would expect, um, and I am a an artist. I'm in grad school for art right now. I'm an oh, MFA cool. kid at the moment, and so you know all these things around uh, pricing work. What is your aesthetic work valued? How would you value your aesthetic work? These kinds of questions all popping up. Um, the Venus retrograde has been a lot of that as well as a lot of serpentine stuff. Mm. The, the the part of Leo that the retrograde is happening in is happening, happening along a lot of serpent star. Mm. Uh, so so many things with snakes and 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 various projects and interviews on my end of things having to do with snakes and stars. So mm. uh, yeah, I'd say those are those are the two big things. Interesting. Is that Hydra or are there other stars associated with serpents as well? Hy- Hydra is the the main one, and it's obviously a huge constellation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the two lunar mansions, and I know we'll be talking a lot about lunar mansions. The two lunar mansions that Venus is retrograding over are um, uh, Magha is the name of the nakshatra. It's uh, often the tenth lunar mansion, and uh, Ashlesha, which is also the name of the nakshatra, um, 
the ninth lunar mansion, mm-hmm. which are the the heart and then the head of Hydra, respectively. Mm. So there's the you know the, the tail sort of keeps going. It's a big long river in the sky, but the the heart star and the head star, which are often important in constellations, anyways, um, are are seeing a lot of prominence with this retrograde of Hydra. Yeah. Mm, wow. Okay. Very interesting. Cool, Jay. Um, thank you for sharing that. Can you now just give us a brief introduction to to yourself and you know anything that kind of informs your identity as astrologer as well as your astrological practice? Yeah, uh, I do a lot of different things. I wear quite a few hats. Um, I would say I'm probably yeah, I'm an artist first and foremost, very interdisciplinary. It's really the thing that I've been doing the longest with my life in a variety of forms, uh, visual art. Um, I did music for a time, mm. um, sound, sculpture, installation, performance. I've really tried everything, not that everything has been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say within the past five years or so, I've seen my art practice merge with what has been now about a decade of astrological study. Um, I've been giving readings professionally, both uh, astrologically as well as with cards and mediumship and things like that for about the past five or six years now, around that same time frame that um, the art began merging with things having to do with stars uh, and and planets and whatnot. Um, So the second appellation would be diviner. I Mm -hmm. honestly, I I don't call myself an astrologer all that Mm -hmm. much, sort of uh, wrestle with the term because I do a lot of different things and it's not really astrology tm in, mm-hmm. the, in the way that I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with it which i still use yeah um don't get me wrong i, I still practice astrology in that very traditional mm-hmm. manner but it's not my main thing mm-hmm. so artist diviner i write i'm not terribly great at it but i write <laughs> i try mm-hmm. to write um there's a there's a few published things out um illustration as well which i guess would be included in the art um but yeah diviner writer i teach classes sometimes so mm-hmm. put educator in there as well wonderful those are the big four sounds like you have some important third house placements which i know we're going to talk yeah. about today uh-huh <laughs> um and it's very interesting a, a past guest was referring to my own third house placements uh, as it relates to podcasting and i know we've kind of talked a little bit about like moon as podcaster, which feels mm-hmm. particularly interesting for you because you have this podcast um, and you have your, your moon in your third. And so that feels Definitely. very kind of apropos. Hope, hoping to at some point uh, have something with, with you related to that's definitely a thing. And I think it's a, uh, a, I don't know, a trope that people have brought up before in relation mm-hmm. to the moon. It's it, the similarity of the planet Mercury is there going back into ancient times, um, these quick planets and also these planets of speech, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the more intimate forms of speech, right, being the, the lunar kinds, um, even more intimate than the mercurial or even the Jupiterian kind of wisdom mm-hmm. speaking to the crowd thing that happens. Um, and there's that intimate speech quality that I, I think gives podcasting that very lunar quality. Um, the, the third house, Sullivan, it's like, yeah, my my moon is in the third house. So as I said, the 
Venus retrograde is happening in my second, makes me a, a Cancer rising. Um, so that's its own thing in relation to the moon, having the moon as your first lord. Right. But um, and I have weird feelings about the the planetary joys schema, mm-hmm. which uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about later. But yeah, I hope so. I, I, I do think there there's something to the third house is skill, mm-hmm. skills for sure, just general skill sets, and oftentimes skills that are in um, contrast to ninth house kinds of skills like um, high high and I do high in scare quotes um, religious structures and 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 this kind of metaphysical thing mm-hmm. um, these are like on the ground skills right right the the third house people are the kinds of people that if things went to shit and and you needed to get by in the world mm-hmm. third house people are gonna sort of you know have have a bit of a leg up mm-hmm. right they, they know how to do these tangible sorts of things and though podcasting isn't necessarily a tangible thing, it's mm. also like, uh, you know, that intimacy once again, uh, right, r- right in the ear, speaking directly into the ear to to the people. Um, there's a kind of uh, to to the masses or, or populist quality to um, podcasting as well. Yeah, I, I can't recall the story, but I'm reminded of uh, the the story I heard about the role of radio basically as like a a revolutionary kind of tool to organize people within a certain area um, and how kind of like independent radio can be this galvanizing force for that. And radio does feel like a very third house kind of Mm -hmm. thing, um, especially when it's focused on like a particular community or a local community. Agreed. Agreed. I, and I guess we're talking about the third house. I might as well just, say it yeah let's I, get into it and, or, <laughs> I, in uh as, as far as i understand the the house schema in vedic astrology the third house is which, which is interesting that it's it's the moon's joy and mm-hmm. and western astrology right because in vedic astrology uh the malefics are thought to do extremely well in the third house mm, extremely um, which, well at being malefic or extremely well in terms of benefit for the native or like a, a good example would be uh, exalted Mars and Capricorn, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a malefic that um, uses its malefic power towards constructive ends. Like it functions right. constructively there. It's not like eating away at the person. Uh, like a, a debilitated malefic is mm-hmm. is more likely to do. It's a it gives that person. Um, endurance it gives that person you know the ability to get through the harder aspects of life which is what a strong malefic is good for at least in my opinion mm-hmm. um and so they're thought to do well in the third house because it's seen as as it shares this with western astrology a place of of siblings right mm-hmm. um and consequently there's a competitive element to being in the place of siblings as siblings mm-hmm. often compete with one another peers compete with one another so people who have third house things there's this weird thing that i oftentimes notice in 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 charts clients and friends alike of like um oftentimes the people that they're closest with are also people that they whether they want to say it or not are people that they sort of like compete with at some level Mm. Uh, the nature of that competition can be more constructive it can be more uh collaborative right that can Mm -hmm. exist i'm not saying it's black and white by any means but i i think that you know especially the moon which is a you know for as a more simplistic way of putting it a softer planet it's mm-hmm. interesting that it's it's joy is in a place that's kind of like a rough and tumble 
environment, at least in Vedic astrology. Yeah. Yeah. And even in, I mean, both of the luminaries are in joy uh, in the tropical zodiac um, in Caden houses, but yeah, the ninth gets this kind of, because of the trines, the ascendant gets this kind of, uh, um, gets us looked at as a better house than the third, um, which I think maybe has to do with misogyny. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think that's a part of it. Definitely. Yeah. Venus and the, the sextile being of the nature of Venus and Venus traditionally being associated with women and the moon having maternal associations as well, joying in the third the third sextile to to the ascendant yeah so it is really interesting um but i think yeah we'll get back to the third in a little bit because i'm especially interested in hearing about you with having a cancer rising um and the theme of mundi having this cancer rising and so virgo being the third um in that kind of schema uh and that kind of connection between the moon and Mercury that you spoke about a little bit. Mm. I think it's really interesting that Virgo falls on the third and the third gets associated with, um, uh, with the moon. So would love to kind of hear your thoughts about that in a, in a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. But to kind of get into the conversation about the moon, uh, a little bit more. Well, first off, I just want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Sasha Ravich. Um, she was kind enough to bring us together. And I was really excited about that, uh, that you had a Virgo moon, because I kind of reached out and and asked her if she knew anybody. She was like, yeah, Jay. And I was excited about that because I had um, attended your recent uh, desire panel with Sasha and, and a, a few other wonderful astrologers. And I was like, man, I really want to have Jay on the podcast. Um, you know, they're saying some really amazing things uh, about this topic. And so grateful for them, grateful that I could have you on uh, today. But to kind of get into it a little bit, uh, was just curious, before you started studying astrology, before you were a diviner, although interested to see if this was showing up early on in your life as well, um, I'm curious to hear your relationship to the moon in your childhood, if there was one, or if you have one memory that kind of comes to mind in relation to the moon from that time. There were, well, actually, I should give Sasha a shout out as well. Love you, mm-hmm. Sasha. Um, <laughs> and and thank you for, <laughs> she's uh, one of my biggest supporters. And she is actually, I say best friend, she is actually my best friend. That's not just mm-hmm. like a, a thing we say. Yeah. Um, we go, we go, we go back. Um, but yeah, I I thought about the question and there's a few memories. The first one, so I'm from Los Angeles originally. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I used to go to Griffith Observatory and look at the craters of the moon. Oh wow. Um, when I was a kid. And I and I that that's not a memory that I've kept at the forefront of of my mind. It's something that, you know, in being queried on it, like what are some memories from your childhood like I used to look at the moon through fancy telescopes and stuff when I was a kid and Mm -hmm. would get all dreamy about it like this this uh you know alabaster landscape and and everything that's out there and 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 whatnot so Griffith Observatory um if you live in Los Angeles it's a it's a great spot to visit the planetarium over there absolutely and and just a lot of strange so that there's the observation element um, even like, I wouldn't call it scientific, but 
Uh, it's it's starting to get closer to uh, Virgo moon e ish um, ways of being Virgo moon child. Um, what I did find interesting, especially with the Virgo moon thing, is so many of my earliest memories are uh, memories of language mm. that actually had to do with the moon. So I mean, I I looked at the moon and I would I would point at it as a little kid and and this sort of thing. But like, um, for example, one so. One half of my family is from Mexico, from Yucatan, um, mm. Merida in particular. Um, so the culture of the the Mayas is a prom Yucatec Maya in particular is, is part of my ancestry and part of um, my my heritage in many respects. And my grandfather, uh, every chance that he would get, would try to teach us a, a, a Yucatec Maya word every now and then. And oh, wonderful! I I have memories of him. Uh, teaching us the the word for full moon, which was nohoch uh, uk, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, oh, my grandfather teaching me the the Maya word for the full moon, as well as um, the other side of my family um, is uh, from the Middle East, from Lebanon, and uh, I was raised with Arabic actually as my first language on on that side of my family. Mm -hmm. And my first word ever that I ever spoke, um, word period, not just in Arabic, was baida, which means egg. Mm. And it's also close to the word for white, abyad. It's, it comes from the same root. And I, I thought about it and I'm like, oh, you know, it's kind of like the moon, weirdly. Like, mm -hmm. okay, egg, white things, that's my first word. And then I asked my mom about that same thing. She was like, your first Spanish word that you ever said was Luna. Uh, and I'm like, okay, there's this weird theme of uh, the way that language, right, we're talking about already and mm -hmm. its connection to the moon is already coming up for me with this with this whole Virgo moon thing. Mm. And so these are, these are my first memories of, of the moon from when I was a little kid. Mm, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, if we think about the moon as kind of like the initiator, and we think about Mercury as not only thinking, but I mean, there's a very lingual element with the moon as well. Um, but if we think about Mercury as kind of like the childhood formation of language, it feels very kind of resonant or apropos in a way to have the first words be kind of like associated they have these lunar associations totally right and also like that's some cancer rising shit right there oh my god yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah amazing cool thank you so much for sharing that that's absolutely. really really cool yeah and so today what is your relationship with the moon and why do you think it's important that we think or focus on the moon when we're talking about astrology or engaging in astrological practice the moon is moon is almost everything in my in my mm. current astrological practice honestly yeah um it's and i i i've i've gotten much from from vedic astrology and i i have to give a shout out to the work of um viktikara mm -hmm. who's sort of like a, a rogue vedic astrologer if anything um not someone who is um appreciated nor loved by the vedic astrology establishment because he doesn't use a sidereal zodiac okay. which is its own thing for its own time we mm -hmm. don't have time to talk about that but um uh as as a teacher i would consider him like a a, a teacher figure in my life just listening to um, his videos and, and taking a few of his classes 
Um, and I've learned so much from him and the the understanding of the moon as well as the nakshatras or the um, the Vedic lunar mansions has been so instrumental for my practice, for my life, for 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 everything. Mm. Um, so the moon saturates every part of my astrological practice and and increasingly every part of my life. Um, you know, some people follow transits more than others. Um, I, I try to stay away from like overburdening myself with too many transits, at least in terms of my own life. Mm -hmm. But uh, I follow the the moon every day. Yeah. Um, following the lunar zodiac, um, these 27, 28 lunar mansions is a part of my daily practice. Um, and that gets extended to my uh, practice with clients mm. um, and all of the art that I've made around it. So the moon is most of of what I do now, I would say, and and I would include include the stars in that, in that the moon is helping me to connect to the stars, mm. um, as we see in both uh, astrology and astrological magic. The moon is that uh, mediatrix, mm -hmm. right, of of the imaginal, of 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 imagery, of rich imagery, and the moon gathers together, but the moon also disperses in light as well, which is one of the beautiful nuances of the moon. I think in distinction to the sun, right, which is just radiating out and there's nobody else but the sun it's mm -hmm. it's just it's just him up there doing his thing uh with the moon we look up and, and we can see the other stars and you can see the right. community of others around the moon so mm. yeah the moon is is huge for me in in every aspect and 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 i think in the vedic astrology where there's this emphasis on the moon is mind as well mm -hmm. And in a non-dualistic way, how the mind saturates everything. Right. Um, and so I see the moon as mind and I see it as body as well. Mm -hmm. For Cancer Rising people, moon is especially body. Right. <laughs> and so following those those daily cycles is extra important. Yeah, I I I, I think that the moon is is just um it's I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the moon is everything that I do, 95%. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to quantify it. Yeah. And do you think that that's been your journey with the moon because of being a Cancer rising? Or what do you think, or or because of it being kind of the mediatrix? Or I mean, what do you think has attracted you to it so much? I I, I want to say, and I'll talk more about this later when we talk about i guess the more personal placement of my moon um but the lunar mansion specifically in the vedic context with the nakshatra uh for me is uh, for my moon is very much related to the ancestors and to the dead mm. and this is something that has taken me a, a while to to cultivate mm -hmm. um it wasn't something that i necessarily felt from a young age this connection to ancestry and heritage in that way it, mm. it came much later for me in that more saturnine way of like it had to build and, and grow and age yeah. into quality with time but um i i think more than anything it was that ancestral connection especially on the arabic speaking muslim side of my family uh, which brought me to the arabic lunar mansions mm -hmm. um I, I, I guess I'll, I'll plug it since I'm talking about it, but I was a part of a translation project uh, with Dr. Amina Enlos uh, of the Shamsul Ma'arif, which is essentially the most um, popular 
grimoire, book of magic in the Arabic-speaking Muslim world. Oh, wow. People say all this stuff about the Picatrix or the Ghayat al-Hakim, but really um, it's the Shams al-Ma'arif through and through that people in that world, the non-Anglosphere, know about. Um, and mm-hmm. so we both, um, she was the primary translator and I wrote uh, an introduction as well as did uh, much editing for it and illustrated it. And um, it was going through that process and learning just even before that, how important the lunar mansions were mm-hmm. for the Arabic tradition as I dialed into um, my own ancestry and and my ancestors' relationship to the stars, to the moon in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was the thing that really set me forth um, on, on, on my path with the moon. Mm. This was, yeah, around five or six years ago that it really got going in that way. So I, I would say it's 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 the ancestral thing that really did it for me. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it's just been um, learning more and more about the way those things exist, even outside of my ancestry. So exploring outside of the Arabic tradition, mm-hmm. as I've mentioned, the nakshatras and the Chinese lunar mansions and and other things having to do with fixed stars. But there's it's that ancestral connection mm-hmm. for me, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And is the lunar mansion the only kind of thing in your chart that speaks to that ancestral connection or do you have like strong fourth or eighth house placements or a strong Saturn like are there other kind of testimonies to that yeah I have I have Saturn in the eighth house Mm. um, which is another big uh you know digging into the past the ancestral heritage placement for sure yeah um if if there's a a planet that's explicitly dealing with the dead it is Saturn yep and then is there as well um and i also have mars in the 12th house which is like you know going going into the weird not necessarily the past but many of the the liminal Mm -hmm. kinds of interstitial spaces of of what that is Mm. um so yeah i all all that stuff it's definitely like okay this person was going to get into their ancestry but um not the conventional parts of my ancestry yeah like people could do that in so many ways, you know, explore their their ancestors. That's very vague. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was like it had to be it's Saturn and Aquarius. It had to be like the strange starry realms of Aquarius that right. that I had to go into. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah. It's interesting, too, to think about translating uh, a, a book, you know, helping to translate a book, because I do feel like the eighth house and Saturn, Saturn being there, it's like, it's like the actual things that you inherit, rather than like the, I think of the fourth house as more of like the people, like the actual ancestors, and and the eighth is like the things that you get from them, Mm. you know, the other people's resources kind of thing, Um, and it's just really interesting to kind of like, like the inheritance of knowledge, and how, um, how that kind of plays out. Definitely. And and Saturn being all all that weird like abstract esoteric stuff too like mm-hmm. the faraway dim planet right the the farthest dimmest planet um, it it's got to be all that weird stuff that gets inherited all the all the Saturnine stuff right yeah the occult knowledge and yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely wonderful all right and so to get into the sign of Virgo I'm curious what Virgo means to you. Um, and if there's any like myth, be it Greek myth or just story in general, film, literature, what have you, 
that helps you understand that place, that environment, um, as well as how you kind of experience your moon there? Um, there's quite a few. Um, when I was jotting down some notes, it's like hard to stop, actually. Mm. Um, it's it's a rich sign. I mean, I guess every sign is rich and and you could just do so many podcasts and whatnot on any given sign. But I guess when you have your moon in a place, it has that level of intimacy. Mm. Did, did you see there was a, a show that came out called I Am a Virgo recently? Did no, you see it? I, okay. Did you hear about it? Okay. Maybe I heard of this. Maybe I did, but I don't think so. It's it's on the the Amazon Prime streaming service, which is its okay. own. It's it's funny because there's all this like super anti-capitalist stuff in the show, but it's on the Amazon. Right. Anyways, <laughs> you don't have to like think about it that much. But um, I I don't. It's it's a silly show. It's it's funny. It's about this uh, 13 foot tall um, African American kid growing up in Oakland. And just like what it is to be to stand out in that way, but he's secluded for a long period of time before he actually gets to get out into the city and the world and meet people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm watching the show and I'm thinking about it, like what what about this is is Virgo like? Um, what are what is stereotypical, but also where are the little nuggets of wisdom in it? Mm-hmm. And um, th- there's much to do in the show about uh, what it is to be a hero for mm-hmm. one which I, I find interesting. And a, lo- a lot of people that I not just moon, but Virgo, Virgo sun people, Virgo placements in general. Um, I mean, the, the helpful stereotype is always there, mm-hmm. right? But um, there's this like superhero sort of quality to a lot of Virgo people that I know, if not like just an interest in, in uh, for lack of a better term, that archetype Mm -hmm. like what a superhero is but also the other side of that um a villain of course but so you know what is it to help a society Mm -hmm. which is gets it's close to that um and virgo is a sign very much like libra and connected to libra related to um fairness and, and justice in the world um there's many shades to that of course but i you know i'm watching the show and I, the, the, you have this giant kid who, who's 13 feet tall. Um, and yet so much of the show, I, I, I'm trying not to give away too many spoilers, but I will say that so much of the show is about the small little things that we do that help mm, yeah. our society and how like getting to know those small or once again, small, not in a bad way, but just like things that don't subtle. have all, yeah, subtle Subtlety feels very like a very Virgoan word, like knowing the intricate details. Exactly. And and how those intricate details or those subtleties are actually um, powerful and do make changes in the world, Mm -hmm. Um, even more than like the fact that someone is 13 feet tall and everybody sees him. And 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 I, I don't know if that was the intention of the show, but I find this whole element of scale really interesting and I think it's relevant to Virgo as a sign that also has a lot to do with measurement and and counting Mm -hmm. as well and I think even this emphasis on language that we've been sort of talking about gets into that of like um, you know words and letters as discrete things um, as opposed to something exactly as opposed to something which is maybe more like a wash Mm -hmm. so there is this element to Virgo of, of counting and particulars or details, as you said. Um, I mean, for for a variety of cultures, Virgo is related to grain, 
Right. Um, that's how we know it in the West more than anything else. And grain is what is grain, but little granules, right? Like mm -hmm. particular bits. Mm -hmm. um, the Mexican side of me is like corn, of course. Right. Corn is super Virgo. It's also related to the Pleiades. So it's not just Virgo, but um, it's 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 prominent in the sense we're talking about little granules and, and seeds of potential. Mm -hmm. um, Virgo is also related to uh, to to birth, to motherhood, and of course to virginity, yeah. which is its own weird thing mm -hmm. <laughs> with with Virgo. And I can in, go in on, our society, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, the, the the what what that becomes in our society, it, it takes on strange connotations. But I I went down a weird rabbit hole recently after reading an article on um because another thing that gets associated with virgo uh, is the the eleusinian mysteries and all this stuff having to do with demeter and persephone mm. right story very close to my heart yeah yeah it's a it's an important one for me as well um i i won't go through the whole story i had imagined most of the people listening are probably familiar with it um i've uh told it i told part of it on a past episode uh like tearfully so <laughs> go back to the other go back to the other mercury moon episode the gemini moon episode i did with shahir if you want to hear more about that okay good 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 um so i i won't i won't talk about it then but there was an article that i read recently that took me down a little rabbit hole by this uh, i think she's an italian scholar marguerite Rigoglioso, um, I think is how her name is pronounced. It's called When Spirit Possession is Sexual Encounter, which mm. is a um, sort of a provocative title, I yeah. guess. Um, but it talks about um, this notion of uh, parthenogenesis, partheno being the word in Greek for virgin. Mm -hmm. So it means um, virgin birth. Right. And so she's talking about the cult of Demeter and Persephone being related to these much older Parthenogenesis cults, mm -hmm. um, where uh, you know men uh, the the male was not needed for mm -hmm. for for the act of birth. And like many, um, there are reptiles. Uh, there's certain animals that are able to do this. Where I, I'm not sure the biological details of it, mm -hmm. but the the egg doesn't need to be uh, fertilized in, in the same way. Yeah. Um, and, and, and she's relating this myth cycle to parthenogenesis in this very, uh, serpentine way. And it just took me down this whole thing of like, huh, vir virginity, like what, what is it to, to be born or to give birth, uh, without the, the, the other in this respect, so solely from the individual self. And, and mm -hmm. I think, I'm not going to attempt to explain away that mystery, but mm. I, I'd like to hold that mystery at the forefront of my mind when I think about Virgo. Mm. And, you know, what is it to birth not just um, another being in the very literal sense of like uh, giving birth, but um, artistic creations, right? Mm. A piece of writing, a piece of music. Um, uh, and in that way, I think Virgo is an immensely creative sign. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a bias that I think it's, 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 it's immensely creative and I, I, there's this parthenogenic element to it that things may be born, uh, directly from oneself in miraculous kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think similar, the, the, the virgin element touches on this 
notion of Mercury as the planetary lord of Virgo as psychopomp mm -hmm. as well? And what is it about Mercury that allows them uh, to be uh, a psychopomp? Right. And I think it's this quality of being able to remain clean while going through, you know, any given uh amount of, of worlds, whether that be the underworld, the middle world, the upper and celestial worlds, it is this um, almost skin shedding quality as if a serpent that allows Mercury and Virgo and people to be able to remain clean or virgin in a variety of, of sometimes extremely filthy situations, mm -hmm. um, which you know, in, in, in Mexico, the deity of corn, Senteoth, is born from Tlazolteot, who is the filth eater or the, the mm. earth mother, the great goddess who is um, of the filth of the earth. Mm. And what do we get from the filth of the earth is um, uh, the, the, the thing that nourishes us, the thing which is so clean that we can eat it, which mm. is feels I don't so so much akin to the the mystery of virgo yeah and that, and that virginity is so much more than just like oh well you know she she hasn't had sex yet and, mm -hmm. and this kind of really uh literal understanding of it yeah first off before i forget i just want to give a shout out to a past guest of this podcast uh lindsey turner because they're about to do a webinar when this releases they either have just done it or they're about to do it about um this idea of Virgo and Parthenogenesis. So people should check that out. Mm. And they have a background in theology. They went to Union Theological Seminary. And so they are looking at it from a kind of um, more religious element or a different kind of religious uh, perspective. And so I just want to mention that. Uh, another thing I want to mention, um, which you just reminded me of when I spoke about uh, the Demeter and Persephone story on the past, uh, the Gemini moon episode, I kind of focused on Hecate and it's interesting to think about, um, you know, you speak about like the garbage mother and it reminds me of ways that Hecate is, is typically engaged with like kind of garbage and broken glass, uh, comes to mind. And there's an element of like thinking about, um, you know, I have eight nieces and nephews and so I see the importance of family and raising children and um, how often parents, new parents will move closer to their family to have a kind of support. Uh, and there feels like a particular uh, aid that can come with like, if you associate like the grandmother as like the crone, like this older woman. Um, and it reminds me of kind of uh, the aid that uh, Hecate gives Persephone in the underworld and thinking about psychopomps is really interesting uh, because you know we have a few of these different kinds of examples of psychopomps whether it be Mercury or Hecate or what have you but uh, yeah I agree what you say about um, kind of Mercury in the underworld is very different than like the Inanna story for example with Venus retrograde which we're kind of going through right now <laughs> Venus descending it's a very painful experience for her and that story is a, one of violence and betrayal, but often Mercury is uh, is descending to kind of relay messages. And so there's an interesting thing to think about with Mercury being the child of Zeus, of Jupiter, um, and having, you know, in, in the 
in the Persephone story, for example, Mercury is kind of uh, this go-between between Hades and uh, and Zeus. And so it's interesting to think about the relationship between Jupiter and Mercury as an access point for Mercury. Mm. So that's potential point of conversation. But the last thing I just wanted to say before I forget about Parthenogenesis is um, it's really interesting. At Parthenogenesis and virginity, um, at some point I in my past, I was quite religious and I heard several stories about um, virgin births happening in um, convents. And there was this, there's this kind of connection between, uh, I can't find any of the support anymore. I don't know. And I don't know where I heard the story, but the idea was basically that these individuals were, were intersex and basically self-fertilized. And there's a few accounts of this, of uh, people kind of spontaneously impregnate, getting impregnated in, in convents, but I can't find any of the stories anymore. But uh, just the idea of virginity is very interesting because if I'm not mistaken, when we think about or talk about the Vestal virgins, um, virginity had a very different context. And it was not that virginity was an absence of sex, but it was the kind of context or relationship to sex. And so the Vestal virgins were um, religious figures who would have a kind this kind of like sacred sex mm. with uh soldiers returning from war who were like kind of mentally scarred from battle and they would they would uh caretake for these soldiers um but the virginity came in with they were kind of tied to the religious order they they were not married um and so there was this kind of marriage versus virgin dichotomy rather than like virgin versus like virgin as like has not had sex Definitely. Um, which, which I think is a really interesting way of thinking about virginity. It's more of this kind of wild, untethered thing rather than a kind of purity. Absolutely. I, and, and much of this article that I mentioned was more actually about what you're talking about. Mm. And I, I, I think it can sometimes be as simple as uh, virginity being a gloss for uh, someone who is not having sex with other humans, really, mm-hmm. um, or if they are, it's you know based on on these these principles like you're talking about, um, or uh, but it's uh, that could be that they are having these kinds of relationships with spiritual beings, mm-hmm. which is you know the the name of the article um, being when spirit possession is a sexual encounter, this kind of interpenetration that's happening with spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it can very well be a gloss for that as well as the um, impregnation by spiritual beings, mm. right? Um, like we hear in so many of the old stories in the Bible and everything else of the the fallen angels who came down and impregnated human women and all this stuff. They were virgins in this way that they they were not impregnated by by human mm-hmm. touch was touch from something non-human other angelic however you want to put it mm. and i i think virgo people can can weirdly do that uh more than other signs perhaps there is and it is this like flirting with all the different dimensions that mercury does that mm. if you want to give it a planetary angle that um that, that has Virgo people doing this sort of thing. Um, I and in a similar fashion, I like that you brought up age um, and and older women or older people, and then going all the way to the young quote unquote maiden and this 
spectrum. Mm -hmm. And the spectrum is similar to the spectrum of the worlds from the underworld to the, the upper and celestial worlds. Right. And like in, in the Orisha tradition, Eshu, who would be related to Mercury, the trickster deity, who the one who's found at the crossroads, he is oftentimes a, a young child just as much as he is the old man. Mm. Um, and this is so much that quality of being able to embody the entirety of that spectrum, the gender spectrum as well. We both of us, uh, I know you do as well, refer to Mercury with they them pronouns. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's apt. Um, that fluidity is there. And so I, I think it's, I think it's a part of how, how that, that cleanliness remains intact, but not purity. As you said, it's not the same as, as purity. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just the whole loaded word in itself. Anyways, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we talked about like the precision and I forget the other word that we used that goes along with, um, the subtleties, the details. Subtlety, yes. Yeah. So we talked about subtlety and precision with Virgo. Um, and you use the term like Virgo is not awash. But I think about the moon as this planet that's kind of awash, you know, or, or is associated with the fluctuations. You know, if we think of cancer and we think of like what kind of water is cancer, I think of it as like the tide pool or the part of the ocean where the waves are breaking and coming in bringing things in with it or what have you and like that the kind of in and out of the tides feels very associated with the moon and the moon's cycles and whatnot and so it's very interesting to think about the moon in this very kind of detailed precise place and i'm just curious if you could tell us some more about what that experience is like it's it's such an important point and you know as i'm talking about gradients and all these different sorts of things it's like Virgo is the ability to hone in on any particular manifestation along that gradient. Um, not as much so good at maybe sensing the entirety of the gradient, but being able to see these these manifestations along it. Mm -hmm. um, but as, as and and the moon being, I'd say more of a planet that can sense the the gradient at, or the gradient as the wash mm. um, and is maybe less interested in in hyper focusing on particular forms along it but what you said is oftentimes what gets brought up by um, i've heard it brought up by multiple multiple vedic astrologers um, talking about moon and virgo mm -hmm. who are thought to mostly go pretty well together yeah but um it is this watery quality of the moon mm -hmm. uh, with the granular quality of Virgo that can be a little bit um, not necessarily jive all the time. Yeah. Um, the, the, the particular in, in relationship to the wash, as, as you said. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if anything is bound to go wrong, I, I, I think that's what it is, I guess, can lead lead with that for, for Virgo moons. Like um, you're, you're, you're sensing there's a bigger thing but it's hard to um, not focus on any one particular thing there. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a lot of anxiety that comes with feeling both of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. to, to be the seed and to be the water watering the seed all at once is mm -hmm. like, it feels like two separate processes at work. Right. And I think Virgo Moon is kind of like that. I Perhaps the the secret there is to acknowledge that both of those things are necessary and to be able to hold 
both simultaneously and not see them as mutually exclusive, mm. which can be hard, I think, for for Virgo Moon, which want, wants to see things as discrete objects, more mm. or less. Mm. But then the moon's there, and it's like, but there's there's more than just the dis the, the discrete objects, and 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 there is this ebb and flow that happens between seeing things in that way, but seeing that they're both essential parts of of any given process of growth. Mm. I, I to to add to that, one of the things I wanted to say about Virgo is that as a part of the etymology of the term, it also relates to a kind of greeting, a greening, or a verdancy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, veriditas, um, even like, uh, you know, viril or like the life force coming through, which is associated with the color green. Mm. Yet seasonally, it's in such a dry time, just like post summer, right? At least in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. Post summer where where things are are getting sort of crispy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? What? It's that whole Virgo thing again of like, okay, it's about life and it's generative in this way, but also it's kind of about death too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, per Persephone in this in the same fashion, like she's on top and then she goes down below and then she comes back up for a little bit and goes back down mm. um and and i think it's the same with um the moon in virgo or or really anything in virgo of like acknowledging that virgo sees the upper world and the lower world mm -hmm. and how best to navigate that depending on what the planet is so you know if it's the moon it's the water which flows from the rain down through the soil trickles down into the roots of something and that being a part of one process as opposed mm. to like that's one thing happening over there and then what happens below is a separate thing mm, yeah it's all a means to growth and growth takes both water and earth and death as well and yeah. that dry arid mm. time where it's like wait yes. how am i seeing growth in this you know how is how is the sign of the greening also the sign of moving into the underworld it's 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 both mm, yeah very interesting i feel like perhaps that's maybe the death of it is like associated with capricorn in the winter perhaps um it's interesting to think about virgo in relation to lunar phase as being a part of autumn you know and if we think about the full moon as summer uh, and the preceding or the following um, phase as autumn, uh, the nature of that is often described as cold and dry, which is the nature of earth. And there's like this kind of um, rigidity to that. There's this kind of uh, separation that occurs that I feel like happens with like the harvest moon where uh, things become particular in a way so that exalted mercury, you know, for, Mercury exalts in Virgo. And I think about the kind of party that Mercury is having in its exaltation as like people getting together and separating the wheat from the chaff, separating the product that's saleable or consumable from that which needs to be put back into the mm -hmm. pile to kind of die and give rebirth. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, Virgo as like, um, mutable earth but also to think about virgo as like you, you know not again not to get into the sidereal versus tropical that i've heard that the tropical 
gained preference in certain traditions because of its association or its like fixity with the seasons and the seasons giving this kind of temperamental uh, description to them. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about them in this in these kinds of different ways. I think similar to your question and also what you're we talking about with the third house, this process of separating the wheat from the chaff is a is a cutting process, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that that cuts. It's which you know the the moon with cutting things they don't necessarily go together. It is that softer, you know, like merging, uh, kind of squishier quality of the moon um in a in a place that that needs cutting that i i think that's similar right to discrete things as opposed to or not as a put in in contrast to um you know wetter more more together sorts of things Mm. um but yeah mercury has to has to cut to be able to do that you have to like draw a line between it and the moon isn't always Moon is like, let's bring together as opposed to clay. Right, right. Yeah, like let's wet the clay. And yeah, I feel like you can't have a sculpture. I feel like sculpture is a very Virgoan thing. I'm interested in your perspective as a sculptor and an artist. but um, And you can't have a sculpture without wet earth, you know? And But then it's like, at some point, the sculpture needs to dry and take form and uh, gain a kind of permanence and I don't know that almost feels like the mercurial element to that definitely I think you can encapsulate so much of Virgo and what you just said mm. the whole process of making a sculpture from earth to to letting it dry in the same way that the you know the harvest is that it's the the plants on on the verge of if not having already dried and and ready to be to be taken up mm-hmm. and 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 consumed, whether consumed by our eyes as a, as a beautiful piece of art that we feast on with our senses in this way, or mm. that we actually like nourish ourselves with, like people um, make jars and pots <laughs> and things that we use in that sense, not just for aesthetic or decorative reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love that as a, that's a good yeah and there feels like something come is coming through about the moon and care and virgo and service and it's like the other choice i think which we've kind of spoken about in relation to death is like do we let what's dried on the vine fall onto the earth and decompose and it reminds me of like the necessary choices of serving and the necessary choices of care um, and how sometimes really hard decisions need to be made in relation to that. Mm. It's, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a farmer's sign. Uh, not to get all like salt of the earth about it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a sign which has so much to do with farming and agriculture. It's just mm-hmm. what it is. And, you know, this whole like helpful stereotype of, of Virgo people. Um, it's, it's true in many respects. I see it with myself. I see it time and time again um virgo moon especially um but it's like you know if if you're not tending to the farm if you're not tending to the garden in that way like people gonna starve <laughs> you know it's like right come capricorn season we don't have anything to eat yeah yeah you that that work has to be done and so i think for for virgo people it's like no i i have to do this for the the maintenance 
of the universe of, of the cosmos and it's just like built in in that way mm-hmm. um because for you know most of human history people did not have that choice right. so you know just like just like persephone was kidnapped against her will um i think that's an apt uh metaphor of like you know virgo also represents things that are you know not not necessarily things that we we make choices that it's necessities mm-hmm. as well right not to go into the whole like what do you call it when the houses are lined up with the signs and the sixth house being uh there's a whole name for that that i that i'm forgetting but oh the natural zodiac yeah the natural order of of the zodiac where you start with aries and Aries becomes the first house. Yeah. Yeah. For house one. And exactly. Yeah. Not to go too much into that, but like, I, I, I see that with the um, necessities borne out by the sixth house being similar to Virgo in that way. Mm. Right. Like I can, I can see that connection. Yeah. Like, no, we have to feed ourselves or we're going to die. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that's that critical element there. Yeah. And very interestingly, the lot of necessity is Mercury's lot taking the lot of fortune chance uh to mercury and casting it from the ascendant exactly exactly yeah um uh fortune fortune (laughs) feeling similar sometimes um in that respect there's just like you know what what do we have you know what what are what are just the circumstances that we're given right it's not the same thing it's not as dire but it's similar of just like the moon and mercury what do we have to do and what 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 do we have what were we born with Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there can be positive associations with um with fortune for sure anonke and necessity often has more challenging uh significations which i'm not an expert on so i can't really get into that um i think our friend Ione, I think our, our friend Ione, who was on the Desire panel with you, is going to do a lecture. On Ananke, yeah. Yeah, on Ananke at, at Astro Media. So I'm really looking forward to that. Same. Yeah, I'm really curious I with your Cancer rising and the moon being in joy, if you have any thoughts about what it means for planets to be in joy, um, as well as what we kind of touched on earlier with the theme of Mundi being uh, a Cancer rising. And so the third house therefore necessarily being Virgo um, and it, what does it mean for uh, the moon to be in Virgo uh, with the, these kinds of associations of uh, the moon joining in the third and Virgo being on the third in the theme of Mundi. I, I'm not sold on the planetary joys schema. Oh, interesting. Um, it's yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things that it kind of irks me a little bit. Mm, um, cool. I, this is the first time yeah. I've like heard someone express this. So I'm really interested. It was like, you know, I'm I'm not super active on Twitter and I haven't even been on there for that long. But one of my few, I guess, Astro Twitter rants was uh, just a few things on the on the planetary joy schema. And it's I, I, I don't I'm not sure if it goes any deeper than I think that this planet would probably be better in this house. Like, OK, in, in Vedic astrology the moon does does pretty good in the fourth if if it isn't like the best place for it to be fourth mm-hmm. house mm-hmm. that makes more sense to me than the third house which I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about in a second like i'm not so sure saturn in the 12th like i know a good amount of people who have saturn in the 12th uh, i'm going to quote sasha uh who we talked about sasha ravich on this who told me once like 
just because Saturn is joining joining in the twelfth doesn't mean that you are. Yeah, <laughs> which is a really great point, and also like brings it back to the planet as its own entity and spirit and mm-hmm. and and character and personality of like you know the, these things are are nuanced in that way. Um, I I think Saturn's pretty good in the eighth. Actually, I, I, mm. I would say my myself. I think Saturn is great in the eighth house. Um, but so so certain ones like Mercury in the first. I you know I I don't know like a, a warm maybe a warmer planet in the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it when I say I'm not sold, it, it doesn't mean that I reject it outright. Right. It just means like some of it just doesn't seem all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there there be better positions for the planets. As someone who has moon in the third house, that's the one that I've thought about the most, right? Yeah. And so I'm thinking about this thing that I already brought up with the 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 sibling rivalry, this kind of competitive and, and harsher side of the third house, emphasized more by Vedic astrology. I'm like, does, does the moon do well with that? Like, mm. is that a, a good place to, to nourish the qualities uh, of the moon Mm -hmm. it's it's i don't have a final answer for any of this but um i i would say that the things that i do resonate with are uh these things we've also been discussing around speech Mm -hmm. right um the the language component especially the, the the roots of language uh, the the formative elements of language, not this high mass thing that mm-hmm. the ninth house does, but really getting down to etymologies, getting down to learning languages at grammatical levels, but going even further than that, I I, I will give you an example um, of how I see this manifest in 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 my life, this mm-hmm. third house moon and and Virgo thing. So and it also talks about the lunar mansion which i said is for me very much related to the ancestors and the dead i i taught a class called moon draws upon earth where uh, i got into the roots of the alphabet mm. going back to egyptian hieroglyphs and then into uh the the proto-synatic alphabet uh the phoenician alphabet right around this level of the formation of the, the first alphabet as 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 we know it mm-hmm. Um, not not hieroglyphics, which would not be considered a, an alphabet uh, okay. by by this definition, um, or like cuneiform or something like that. But I explored in this class, which this class is available to to patrons of mine. I've made it available to the seven dollar patrons. Um, I explored the the roots of the alphabet through the context of the lunar mansions, mm. where I see. Uh, it is it is my belief, and not only my belief. There have been scholars in the past who have talked about this, who I cited and 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 mentioned in the talk, who see a connection between the shapes of constellations and the lunar mansions and the earliest alphabets. Oh wow! I I find this connection fascinating. Yeah, and I I've I've uh, I've, I've done a lot of research on this, and this class was, um, uh, in in many respects the. The furthest development of my work around this stuff and the way it relates to mysticism and the letter associations with the lunar mansions, which is something that comes out in various mystical literature with the Kabbalah and Sufism and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, I see this as an example of a, a third house moon uh, in Virgo doing its whole like ancestral digging down, not just to uh, the grammatical roots of a particular language, but to attempt to see 
the the roots of um, the the form of of the alphabet, but also how that relates to spoken language too. Mm, In particular, yeah. the, the the shapes of the mouth and how the shapes of the mouth mirror the shapes of the moon mm. in type mm. the the full moon being an ah you know and the and the and the new moon but also the full moon being a closed mouth up mm, mm. and how these open letters or liquid letters also relate to the the lunar phases so to me that class is like yo third house virgo moon shit yeah right here like let, let's connect these things language and the moon together mm. Um, I think that's the best example I can give of when those things, at least in my life, are working together um, cohesively and intellectually, and and I can pull from all these different dimensions. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I think the third house is is still is it's all those roots and it's it's skills, it's uh, tangible skills in in that way. Uh, I don't know if I have any thoughts on 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 the theme of Mundi. It, it definitely for Cancer Rising people, it gives you a little bit of an ego boost. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like oh, theme of Mundi, Cancer Rising. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> um, Someone the other day was like, "Oh, your your ascendance on like the cosmic cent." I have a Sagittarius rising, and someone was like, "Your ascendance like the cosmic center of the universe." And I was like, "Yeah, no big deal." <laughs> I get that in my own uh, ways too. I love it. Yeah. One thing I want to say about the third house moon um, sure. that feels really interesting is I'm rem- I was reminded of you know if we th- associate the ninth house with like higher education and the third house with more kind of basic or primary education you know it's like what's more primary education than the alphabet and like I was I was reminded of being a four or five year old and like drilling the alphabet and just really hating it and and I'm a notoriously bad speller which is just really interesting just to think about like you know I've been in grad school like I'm I think I'm a relatively intelligent person but there's like just some of the basic foundational stuff I actually really did not enjoy uh, in terms of education. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting to think about like, you know, you kind of compared, um, you know, the ninth house language to the third house language. And it reminds me that like, you know, you can conjugate verbs all day, like you can do the ninth house stuff with language, but language you know having learned a foreign language or a second language i learned spanish at the age of like 27 you know there's like no amount of that that will prepare you to actually know the language if you don't have conversations with people mm-hmm. you know and it feels very third house and very lunar thing like this kind of really coming together and having conversations to really know something and to to know a language in particular so well said so like ninth house people be like i'm going to learn the latin mass uh-huh. <laughs> this you know this this sort of thing and third house people are like like i was just in um i was just in istanbul recently and um everyone came up to me and was speaking turkish mm-hmm. and you know i'm 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 lebanese it's like i i sort of look the part as well or like people who are like generally from this part of the world um but yeah, it's like it, that element that, that you're describing of picking up on all of these little linguistic cues, whether it's in, you know, intonation, cadence, 
uh, pronunciation too is 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 a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and just the that on the ground language learning that you're talking about, conversations with other people and the differences and in 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 region and land and how that factors into language. Like and once again, even like the way you look and 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 body language and these things and how that also gets you know that's a part of it as well. Mm -hmm. All that is is third house language stuff for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. For some reason, I think because maybe I'm back home in New York where I grew up, I'm reminded of this uh, and I like love the Sopranos and I'm reminded of this article that I read where they like basically analyzed the kind of North Jersey, New York, Italian uh, dialect that came over from Southern Italy and Sicily and how things are said in very particular ways. And it kind of just analyzed that kind of Italian dialect, which feels very uh just reminded me of that you know Italy in particular I, I don't have an Italian background I studied Italian in high school but um Italy in particular is a place where language is hyper local you know you like cross a bridge to another village and they're speaking in like a different dialect so it's a fascinating read and kind of puts a lot of you know because even you know growing up Irish American these kinds of words particular ways of speaking pronouncing foods in particular fall into the kind of lexicon here in New York. So yeah, it's just fascinating stuff. Definitely. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, before we move on, um, just want to ask if there's anything else that you want to say about, um, I guess we'll go with the Lunar Mansions first. Uh, if you want to talk about like the importance of uh, people kind of knowing their their Lunar Mansion neat uh, in their natal chart, um, how lunar mansions can play in, in other forms of astrology, whether it be electional or what have you. And just curious as well, if there's like any other third house significations that you want to bring up. Like I mentioned earlier, the moon being uh, so much of, of what I do, if not like most of what I do now, um, I would say that that is the moon in the context of the the lunar zodiac, which is another way of referring to the lunar mansions. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been using stations more than mansions. I like that. It is increasingly, yeah, it's it's made more and more sense over time. Uh, in the same way, like the progression of time and the movement of the moon, uh, it's it's less static. Mm -hmm. You know, we we use we use mansion. Uh, or lodge is another way that it gets referred to. We, we use that with domicile, right? We use domicile in astrology all the time. Mm -hmm. um, house, domicile, we use these terms a lot. But there is a static quality to that that I don't think uh, drives so well with the moon, especially the way I see the moon as the traveler. Mm -hmm. um, so much a part of my work is in the like backpacking with the moon mm -hmm. um, through the stars um, or, you know, getting possessed by the moon if you will <laughs> sexually possessed by the moon by jam <laughs> the next a memoir yeah <laughs> um is just so much a part of my practice and, and there's movement with with traveling um so in the same way that the 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 lunar stations are referred to in the arabic traditions as these um these locations along the silk road primarily where travelers would stop mm. merchants which is another both mercurial and lunar association right that right. with merchants mm -hmm. um where, where merchants mostly but travelers would stop and they would rest for the evening 
And while they were resting, you know, they'd happen to look up at the moon um, because they weren't looking at all the shit that we look at nowadays instead of looking at the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, they would look up at the moon and they would see some stars next to the moon. And that was the lunar mansion or that was the lunar station. Right. Um, so the station mirrored that stop that they were making on their journey right and every stop on their journey had a certain quality to it mm. um this is referred to sometimes as the the caravanserai um of a caravan mm. and so this is how i see the moon and this is how i see the lunar zodiac and this is deeply embedded in the arabic tradition in particular um so once again this has informed the the earliest parts of my practice but um the the lunar zodiac is the the movement of the moon through these 27 in the in vedic astrology um there's a hidden one of the pole star or of, of vega the old pole star which would be 28 but 27 and then 28 um for the the chinese and the arabic uh signs just like the 12 sign solar zodiac that um we're all familiar with mm-hmm. so um calculating where the moon is for uh uh, any given natal chart is 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 one part. Um, you know, I can speak a little bit later about that position that I've already mentioned, which is very ancestral for me in my chart. But looking at the the natal position, which is its own thing, mm-hmm. um, and then of course there's the whole tradition which gets into the magical aspects of it of of seeing what is good to do on certain lunar days, right? Like, right. don't cut your hair on this day. Don't um, propose to somebody on this day. Don't go visit someone in a position of authority on this day, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then the ways to like, you know, judge that with magic, with the moon. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the the lunar mansions or the lunar stations, they're, they're basically a zodiac unto themselves, which is a different division of space of that 360 degree circle. Um, more and more, I appreciate that. Um, maybe this is more of a, a third house thing um just looking up at the moon and seeing the stars that it's near to that mm. like original way of 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 seeing the lunar mansion um we have mathematical divisions now um which you know depending on the tradition you use will vary um i have my own variant of that but uh i enjoy just looking up the moon and being like oh it the moon is next to castor and pollux like the moon is in the seventh lunar mansion mm-hmm. <laughs> um and 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 speaking to the moon and stars in in that respect um so it it forms its own zodiac which I, my work has been um reading charts mostly in that way mm-hmm. um i i think they're there we are now living in a time for better or worse where there are so many uh incredibly well-trained astrologers who are are using the solar zodiac Mm -hmm. um and and though i will reference it of course and have been trained in that same system i feel like it's important for me as someone who um the lunar zodiac is their main thing to really in client work and in my own life focus on on the way the moon manifests in these different places Mm. yeah yeah so just to give a little bit more like breakdown of the lunar mansions or stations i like the idea of a station because of there feels like a bit more mobility with that you know like mansions and houses don't necessarily like move exactly but stations i feel like can i don't know that feels like it can move a little bit and uh the thing with the fixed star or the thing with the stars is that there's procession so they kind of move so 
ostensibly the lunar mansions move slightly as well over time, correct? Which is its own, it's it's a complicated subject and and probably I, I teach I teach a bunch of classes on the lunar mansions, and this is the thing that gets asked more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unlike the solar zodiac, the lunar zodiac is still tied to the stars in a way that the the sun is just not. Right, and that is very literally because you can see the stars when looking at the moon, mm-hmm. um, and you can't when you look at the sun. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one thing, but the the tropical zodiac in particular has just become something unto itself, right? right? Um, people related to the seasons, but we're not really referring to, you know, those like three very dim little stars that make up the stars of Aries when we're thinking about the sign of Aries for the right. most part. That has become its own separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much with the the lunar zodiac, Um it is a little bit more so in the way that people practice the Arabic tradition, especially in the paradigm of the Picatrix, mm-hmm. where they continue to use the the tropical zodiac. Okay. Um, and so they are not processing coordinates, meaning there mm. isn't this slippage that, that you're referring to that comes with procession. Okay. Um, the other most common way that you see, which is how nakshatras get used more often than not, is um, through the sidereal zodiac, mm-hmm. but it's wholly the sidereal zodiac. So the entirety of the zodiac is already being processed mm-hmm. with a particular ayanamsha or a point of, of beginning um, that is fixed to um, particular stars, as is the, the particular nakshatras. It's like this nakshatra begins at this part of Aries, and because the whole zodiac is being processed, you, you always know as long as you're sticking with... Um, you know, uh, the sidereal zodiac and and that whole processional cycle where the nakshatra is going to be. Mm-hmm. I have come to, and uh, there's a few people who use this, Victor who I mentioned is, is someone who uses this, which is, uh, I mean, it's, I think he was the initial impetus for me to begin to take it up. And it only has made more and more sense for me since then. Um, I do, uh, I do think that some of the earlier Arabic uh, astrologers um, we're also using the sidereal uh, coordinates for, for the lunar mansions, and that that tradition hasn't always exclusively been a tropical zodiac. Mm-hmm. But essentially what I do now is I use, prece- I use processed sidereal coordinates with a tropical zodiac. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I use as an example, because once again, people, this is the most common question that I get in almost every class that I teach, is the way that we look for the coordinates of fixed stars in in in, in Western astrology with the tropical zodiac. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, the example I always use is Algol. It's a you know roughly twenty six uh, Taurus. Right. So you know with with precession that degree changes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it it's going to move. It's going to continue to move ahead because with precession you have a roughly uh, one degree change every 72 years, give or take. Okay. Um, so I'm essentially doing that with the lunar mansions mm-hmm. where you are just factoring in precession. So, you know, those those coordinates get updated, you know, once every 20 years is, is a good time to update it. Mm-hmm. If you have uh, a planet which is right on the edge of a lunar station, um, then you might be like, okay, uh, I need to get more precise with this. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, um, unlike I think the solar zodiac, 
you can kind of get a feel for if someone has let's say the moon in one station versus the 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 next one right like if it's on on the border mm-hmm. um i think it tends to be uh, fairly obvious in the person's character mm-hmm. but interesting yeah i it, it's also worth mentioning that because of the star that each station is related to that star has its own mythological associations lore mm-hmm. images forms of magic um, plant associations, all of these different things. So the 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 ways that lunar stations are interpreted are are through uh, in the same way that the solar zodiacal signs have these same qualities are are through these different qualities, mm. which more often than not come from the stars that they're related to. Okay, very interesting. All right, um, I think to move on a little bit, uh, can you tell us about mercury and their placement in your chart and how that affects kind of the manifestation of of uh virgo or your experience of your moon well in a uh really quick off the bat i have mercury in the 10th house in aries so it's like i'm going to be talking about all this third house stuff with the moon and everything of my chart in a in a public <laughs> you're going to be doing this podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 one way to interpret that as well as you know having a, a podcast and talking about a lot of this sort of stuff myself or teaching classes on it and, and all of this so mm-hmm. um it can be that literal sometimes i did aries 10th house the, the 10th house is kind of an unstable place mm. uh, it's up in the sky it's not like the fourth you know the that earthy grounded rooted place of depth it's it's high 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 up in the sky and it's very windy up there mm-hmm. so you know mercury is a as a uh, airy and, and movement based planet quick planet is is uh, going a little crazy up there sometimes mm-hmm. Uh, catching an inspiration and then letting it go just as quickly as uh, as it found it. Mm. Um, and being an Aries, it doesn't help that same uh, <laughs> uh, sense of impatience, right? Or like immediate inspiration and then loss of said inspiration. Or sometimes you can catch a spark and and cultivate it and blow on it a little bit and ends up, you know, becoming a great big fire, but hopefully not too large a fire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Mercury and Aries in the tenth house. It's like podcasting, it's just speaking uh, in a in a in a public manner in general. So speaking to uh, larger amounts of people, you know, outside of uh, my particular circle. That 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 quick inspiration, momentary inspiration. Um, also, uh, one of the more cutting Mercuries, mm-hmm. right? Like a, a Mars ruled Mercury, especially having Mars in the twelfth house. It's like. A, even like unconsciously cutting at times around around things more more cutting than I realize around certain things. Yeah, I I I would say that uh, the the squishy the squishy hard or the the squishy sharp combination is interesting for me. Mm. Um, I get a lot of I get a lot of artistic fodder out of that. Uh, having a Mars ruled Mercury with 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 the Moon down in in the third house in Virgo. That combination. Mm. Uh, my moon also has Antitia with Mercury. Oh, interesting. So they're 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 connected in a in a variety of ways. Mm. How do you see the Antitia kind of playing out? 
I, I, I think they've they've learned to get along with one another. Mm-hmm. I think they they've learned that it's it's better to work together, like we've been talking about, than to to fight against one another. Mm-hmm. And I think in acknowledging that, I've I've gotten better at it myself, and I've gotten better at seeing it out in the world as well, and in my relationships and in all things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's an increasing level of harmony between them. Um, also, and it's also very like a, a tenth to third thing of like, um, and Moon to Mercury in the tenth of the way that uh, private things or things that shouldn't be spoken about or secret things interact with um, speaking about so much of that publicly and all of the weird Mm. um, nuances that that come with doing stuff like that, speaking on occult matters and having initiations around certain things that aren't necessarily, you know, meant for for the masses Mm. Um, and, and, and being able to ride that line better and better. I think those things play uh, play into one another. I also, my moon has a a good trine with Venus and Taurus. That's my that's my art aspect. I think for sure, mm-hmm. especially with you know, what would be called the plastic arts. Um, you know, s- sculpting, right, painting, all those things have always come very very naturally to me. You know, two Earth signs, Virgo, uh, Venus, and her home sign in Taurus. Uh, all that stuff is just uh, working alongside one another and being able to, I think, bring in more of those sensual elements from the Venus and Taurus into a lot of the mercurial stuff mm. that I do. Mm. Um, trying to have it be be grounded in, in more sensual qualities. And I think uh, a, a good podcast can do that. I don't know if I always succeed at that, but yeah. Um, I think your podcast does that a lot. I, oh yeah, you think so? Yeah, I think Moon. I do. Yeah, Moon. Moon people are are better at that. It's that intimacy, mm. right? But um, yeah. So I'm I'm learning about more and more of that as well. Well, thank you for that. I I try my best. And and you succeed. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Um, I think that there's something interesting too about not to kind of get off topic, but the Moon Mars mutual reception that you have. With with I'm sorry, not Moon Mars, the Moon uh, the Mars Mercury with um, Mars mm-hmm. and Gemini and Mercury in Aries, and so there's an interesting kind of twelfth tenth house relationship, which I feel like also you kind of speak to with um, with this idea of like sh- shedding light on things that are occult or things that are hidden, and it feels very like twelfth tenth. It it definitely defines me. I I think that. Uh, th- those two planets and the way they're relating to one another as well as you know that uh, out of sect malefic in the 12th house it's just like Mer- mercury is like let's let's talk about it with mars mm. and if if you talk about it if you talk about all these weird fringe things you talk about it you write about it you do these mercurial things it's sort of a way of exercising the demons of mars in the 12th house because mm. there are some real demons with that placement uh you know no no doubt about it uh so yeah it's like kind of this public ongoing exorcism mm. um for all of you um so you're all welcome to to witness that but yeah i i would say if that's like if anything is my thing that's my thing the relationship right between um mercury and mars in in that context mm. yeah again not to not to go off topic but i do feel like Mars placements, I feel like for me, I resonate with this idea of like 
where you need to kind of exercise demons. And I have moon Mars in my first pretty closely conjunct. And it's like, I've been thinking about this more recently of like needing to move every single day Mm. or I just like feel off. So there's something about like this kind of sacredness around movement and this balance that comes with like moving in particular ways. So it's interesting to hear that that kind of plays out for you with uh, the Mars Mercury. Yeah. And it's like, it just saturates everything. All this stuff mm. I've been talking about the traveler, yeah. like you, you would be a shoe in for the lunar stations. Like no, no wonder the station resonates with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's on the go. Your moon is on the go in that way. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the relationship of your moon and your sun. So your, your sun is also in Aries, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that how does that like how does the lunar phase uh play out or manifest in your life i feel like that uh, approaching the full moon phase or well, waxing gibbous uh it's a pretty anxiety prone placement mm. um i've heard that from other people once again moon moon in a mercury ruled sign it's like a lot of just mental and i have mars and gemini as well there's just like mental anxiety stuff with that and it's right. like constantly bubbling over in some sense luckily for me it's mostly with like things i want to do and 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 dreams and ambitions mm. um not with like you know some of the more um like negative uh, the extremely negative things that can come with anxiety but um yeah like so many things i want to do so many things i want to try um uh, Maya Rourke once described it to me in a reading as like the um, the fire hose in the face kind of thing of like uh, just like get, give it all to me in that respect so yeah i have i have a bunch of those placements and um I, I i see the the moon on the way to becoming full as a part of that of like it's a cauldron about to bubble over mm. and so it's like take a little out and know what plant to water you know with that little bit of excess uh what is what is dry what needs to be watered and then you know once that space has been made like what to refill it with is just a, a never-ending thing mm. um i i mean progressed moon stuff i just passed uh my full moon in my in my progressed chart and i feel like okay so i'm beginning to learn a little bit more about what it is at least since i started studying astrology what it is to like be in more of the waning phase of things and not think about things mm-hmm. in the context of that uh, approaching fullness mm-hmm. of, of that brightness um so i think that's maybe a, a a welcome addition yeah but yeah it's 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 sort of an anxious placement mm-hmm. um linguistically so i think mentally um but not always in a bad way mm, yeah it's interesting i've been thinking a lot about like spoken before about this like quote from Minotti that the sun always receives the moon the sun is the moon is always reflecting the light of the sun even if it's like a verse it's interesting to think about what reception means in terms of aspects uh but um depending on lunar phase you know you think about lunar phase you think about the sign that the moon is in and then you think about the sign that the sun is in and what kind of light like what's the quality of light that's being reflected and i think with the exaltation of the sun in aries 
you know, you spoke about, you, it feels very um, fitting, this idea of like the fire hose, like give me it all. And the, and the sun being your sect light too, you know, it's like very much the sun held up uh, in the 10th house, like this kind of highest part of the sky. And so it does feel like the, the moon has to reflect this light that is like very kind of intense and large and has this big energy to it. Um, and it has to do it in this way that's yeah, very, a very different, a different manner, you know, it has to filter it through this prism that is very different. It feels like, for me, at least contradictions up and down sometimes. It's like the cancer rising thing is so, it's this weird, soft, sharp thing that's always at play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's like being a cancer rising person, uh, if even with a day chart, it's almost like the moon is your sect light, sect light in some sense too, mm -hmm. um, honorary sect light or something like that. Right. Um, but I, you know, as also being uh, lord of the first house, it's like the moon as as your body and that intensity of heat. It's like when I when I get those inspirations or I feel the thing or whatever, it's like I feel that heat being generated in my body and I start to sweat and I start to get red and it's like whoo you know the, the moon is responding in exactly that way you're you're describing of like i feel it viscerally mm. absolutely yeah it feels like the those stories of like the the genius or the daemon descending and you're like i gotta get this idea on paper right now you know yeah 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 it comes out in what feels like the uh, that whole sexual possession thing mm. I'm just gonna, that's that's giving me ideas yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm very excited to to see where you go with that. Feels yeah. <laughs> interesting. All right, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about lunar mansions and the moon? I I have a ton to say about the lunar mansions. I um, whew, yeah. I I I almost don't don't know where to begin with the lunar mansions because it's just saturates like every aspect of 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 what i'm doing and and my being at this point in my life like i said it's a daily practice um i i encourage people if, if they don't know what lunar mansion uh that their moon is in that they go check that out just, mm -hmm. just to begin with and that's uh i think even in talking about like um good entryways to working with the moon or doing lunar things it's like well look at your look at your lunar mansion yeah um and you can look at that there, there's differences right like we talked about um between your sidereal or purely sidereal lunar mansion as well as your tropical lunar mansion mm -hmm. you can feel out the differences and if you're like you know astrologer astrologer and you really want to nail the coordinates down like which one feels more like you mm, yeah um so, you know, I, I was convinced of, of, of the sidereal one, but, you know, suss that out for yourself. That's a good way to feel into your own moon, um, as well as in beginning to explore, um, lunar mansion magic. But, um, yeah, check that out if you haven't. Um, and there's just, there's, there's so many different ways that you can look into that. So I encourage all people to, uh, if if they're interested in the moon at all and you haven't explored the lunar mansions, then get on that. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have any other suggestions for folks that are new astrology or planetary relationship and forming a relationship with the moon? Another thing that I've, it's part of my daily practice in this way. Um, 
that other astrologers have talked about um Claire Nocti, who does a lot of this like media analysis stuff with nakshatras has talked about it she's like a very well-known mm-hmm. um youtuber um talking about nakshatras but really in, in her own way it's not like all super traditional or whatever but this she does this kind of media analysis thing with it where she sees how people's natal uh, moon ascendant and sun placements mostly manifest in the roles that they take on as like actors and artists and things like that oh cool um which is that's fun which is cool stuff right yeah uh and and so uh, uh chris rapucci and elodie saint ange Aubit of the lunar zodiac project have talked a lot about the way that the lunar mansions manifest in our dreams as well mm. um which is something that is another another way that we can track the movement of the moon as well as see it in our natal chart and or other people's natal charts and and see how the moon as mind manifests at every level of culture um, and at, in all the worlds right in, in the dream world um, and you can analyze other people's dreams in this capacity or like where was the moon when you had this dream. Mm. Um, as well as in in media and I mean film and television, this is such a lunar thing, right? The projection of the of of the thing is this kind of lunar projection thing that's happening of the dream, right? Mm. Of the created dream. Yeah. So of course it takes on these lunar qualities of like shaping the Maya. So I think for someone who wants to get into lunar stuff as well as just a, an observation of mine that I think is really cool is like start looking into that element of it. See where the um, either the placement of the moon in the solar zodiac, so like the moon in, in Virgo in this instance, mm-hmm. or the the placement of the moon in the lunar zodiac, see how that manifests in all these different ways, whether it be media, whether it be your dreams, mm-hmm. um, things having to do with your body, so on and so forth. I, I think that's when it can when you can see the astrology at every level in that way, that's like when you're living, breathing, eating, sleeping, shitting it. <laughs> if you've got south node placement strong south node placement, <laughs> shooting, shooting astrology essential part of life yeah right right awesome any imparting thoughts on the moon before we wrap up um go and look at it yeah her, she they them mm-hmm. um yeah go go look at the moon i you know I've i've spent almost a decade studying astrology now and I'm still finding myself going back to just looking up at the moon and and Mm -hmm. the stars, Um, not to kind of end on a cliche, Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. I've lived in cities most of my life and there's just something, there's something that you cannot, um, you just can't recreate with any amount of software or technical knowledge that just looking up at the moon and, you know, maybe having a conversation, um, even just, just, just observation um mm-hmm. there's no replacement for that so yeah lunar mansions looking at the moon as well as seeing what, how the moon comes up in all these different facets of life absolutely all right jay where can we find you and is there anything you're working on right now that you'd like to share with us i have uh, a few projects brewing which i'm very excited about that uh some things i'm not going to officially announce yet but some exciting things brewing pertaining to the lunar mansions uh, that go far beyond uh, much of the work that I've already been doing with them. Um, I taught a class recently for the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival, focusing on the lunar mansions uh, and the the lunar mansions that uh, 
deal with serpents and ophidian beings and dragons mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. Um, and that class is available to buy until the end of the year. Okay. Um, I, I think we are doing more with this uh, panel on on desire and hopefully doing more of these kinds of uh, panels with with Sasha mm-hmm. and and others. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm mostly just secretly working in 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 the dark ar- around a lot of things. But um, my website is starnightdwell.com, and you can find me at uh, at starnightdwell on everything else: Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, there's also the podcast, which is a starnightdwell. A is a separate word. Starnight, its own word, and then dwell, its own word. But you can access that from my website. Um, and if you are interested in what I'm working on and what is to come, as well as ways to support the podcast, uh, to, to look at some of the other articles that I've wrote, some of the artwork that I make, um, all of that can be found on the Patreon. Um, so I encourage those who are interested in my work, as well as the podcast and all the rest, to check out the Patreon, at least um, give it a peruse. Um, and that's another great place to, to find me. Awesome. I'll uh, be sure to link all that in the show notes. And thank you, Jay, so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and hope we can do it again soon. Such a pleasure. Thank you. To support the show by donating or becoming a member, please visit my website, which is linked in the show notes. And please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. See those links in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to contact me via my website or email me at sphallhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to astrologers and resources that we touched on in this episode. Thanks. See you next time.